We're looking at gifts of the Spirit. In particular, I wanna, I've sort of titled this Miraculous Faith or Faith and Miracles. And I'll start with a question, right? Have you ever wondered at times why you don't see stuff that you think maybe you should see? Yeah, like, okay, so, so in our household, here's a fairly common scenario. Many of you that have young kids, you'll be in the same kind of scenario where from time to time your house gets messy, right? Particularly if Danny's not done her job and things are a bit, you know, like it just, things get messy and it gets hard to find things that you're looking for, you know, keys, phone, wallet, that kind of thing. You end up sort of looking around, running around, you can't find them. And as a guy, after a while, after looking and looking and looking, you have to do the unthinkable. You have to ask your wife, right? It's a terrible moment. And what does she do? Well, she says, well, have you looked? And she names all the places that you've already looked. And you say, well, I've looked there. And she's like, I'm really, like, I really think they're beside the fruit bowl. And you're like, I'm looking at the fruit bowl right now. They're not there. And then the worst thing happens, which is she comes and yeah, she comes to check out the fruit bowl. And then women have this magic ability. And I don't know quite, I don't know quite what the action is, but there'll be the bananas and they'll do like this sort of movement, there'll be like a lifting motion that happens and a wormhole will appear and the keys will be underneath the bananas. It's, it's outrageous. It's, you, know, you, you should be happy, but you're secretly livid, okay? You are, you are. You say, thank you very much, and then you storm off, right, in a, in a huff. Sometimes we don't see things that we think we should see, and we can wonder why. I, you know, I, th- I think this is particularly true in the realm of the miraculous, or, uh, Colin Primrose shared a wonderful story last week. Um, most, of, most of you were here. I'll give it the slightest recap, but basically he's a, he does missions work out in India. He was flying out, met three guys on a plane who were migrant workers from India in the Middle East, but he had a layover in the Middle East. Starts witnessing to them. They'd never heard the name of Jesus before. They get saved, and then he says, well, why don't we pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The guy beside him starts speaking in tongues. The guy in front says, I understand what he's saying, interprets it, and what is the interpretation? It is word for word, Matthew chapter 1, right? That's, that's a pretty awesome, like that, that was an incredible story, yes? Anybody else's most recent flight look like that? Like mine didn't, I'm going to be honest, my most recent flight, most of it was trying to figure out how to change a poopy nappy in an airplane bathroom. The only God moment was that it wasn't my poopy nappy. That was it, right? That was the only, that was the only good bit. But the reality is, like, like we, we hear stories like that, and I think one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves, that it is incumbent on us to ask ourselves, is... Why do we not see that? Or why do we not see more of that? Like, why, why does that, like, like, that's an incredible story. It's a powerful story. But we should, as Christians, as believers, and particularly as believers, as we are in this church, that believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit, that believe that God is working today in the same way as he was whenever this book was written and in the life of Jesus and in the life of the apostles, we should want to see stuff like that It should frustrate us that we maybe don't see as much of stuff like that. We should desire it, and not seeing it should bother us. And and it's not like this is just a small problem either, right? This is not just like, oh, wouldn't it be great for us? Like, wouldn't it be great? Our church could look great if we could say that we're a church that sees all of these miracles. Now, now we've seen some miracles, and we'll share some stories. I will share some stories about this. But nonetheless, like, uh, we maybe don't see as much as we'd like. And, it, and it's not just for our sake. This is necessary for what we're called to do as a church. 
for what we're called to do as the people of God. Let me share a couple of stats with you. Do you know that in, in Nepal, 80% of believers there convert because they've seen a healing miracle? 80%. The same stats, it's between 80 and 90% in China. Do you know all across the world right now, when we think of the, the church, we tend to think of it as being on the back foot, on the decline. We think that things are going poorly. In the Western world, that, there seems to be some truth in that. But do you know that in the vast majority of the world, the church is gaining ground. It is, it is winning people by the millions. Like there are tens of thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus every single day in some of the most persecuted and hostile environments in the world. And a key thing to that is the miraculous. It is the power of God. And it would help us quite a lot if we could see some more. Like it really would. I like, I like we, we, we can do everything right. We can get all the, you know, the lights and the music and the sound and all of that stuff. And I love all that stuff and I'm for all of that stuff. But you know what? Like if it was a choice between that and the miraculous, I'd take the miraculous. I'd take the power of God at work. And I think in Northern Ireland particularly, not get into it in too much detail, but do you know what? I think we're, we're at a time where we do need to see some power of God again. Like, like it feels like we're in a spiritually challenging moment in this province. I look at the church broadly, I go, do you know what? There's a lot of great believers out there. There's a lot of great stuff. But if this is it, we're in trouble. And, and it's even true in here. Like what we have in here, we've had a great start. I'm, I'm so blessed to be part of this church. So blessed to uh, stand on a foundation that a lot of you guys in this room built of pursuing God. But if this is the finish line, it's not enough. It's not enough. We have to go further. And for that, we need the power of God. Which is why today we're talking about what might be termed as the power gifts. The power gifts. So let me, let me read the passage and I'll explain that a little bit for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll do verse 4 to verse 10. It says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So we've got this passage here. It lists all these gifts of the Spirit. If, you, if you're in any way into the gifts of the Spirit, you'll hopefully know this passage. This will be, you'll be somewhat au fait with it. One of the challenges is that it doesn't actually say, this means this. Like this looks like this. See, we have to do a little bit of work I'm sort of looking around at different passages and stories of the Bible and try and push this out into the edges and see, okay, what are these things that are being talked about here? Typically, there's, there's uh, scholars have done work on this, and they divide these nine gifts that we see here into sort of three sections. So you've got the revelation gifts. You've got gifts that are about you knowing something that you wouldn't otherwise know. So those would be words of wisdom, discerning of spirits, and words of knowledge. Then you've got the utterance gifts, the speech gifts, that where you're saying something that is divinely inspired. So that would be tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. And then you have what we're going to focus in on today, the power gifts, which are healings, miracles, and the gift of faith. So those are, that's kind of what we're going to focus on. I'm particularly actually going to end up in faith as being the majority of this. I really want to do a kind of nuts and bolts, practical 
in, you know, in detail message on this and what, why I think it's necessary. Let's, let's give, let me give a couple of key details. So I said, we're, we're going to get to faith, but let me, let me just quickly touch on healing and miracles just to kind of set that up for us. When we're talking about healing, we're talking about supernatural healing, right? That, that, that's what we mean by that. So, you, you know, if you break your arm and you say, well, praise God, after seven weeks in a cast and some physio, I was miraculously healed. Like, you were like, praise God for the healing. Praise God is better. It's not a, a healing as this passage would describe it. It's, it's a blessing of God that it got better. Your body is fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. But that's not the kind of healing in reference here. Doctors are not operating necessarily in the gift of healing. Like that's, that's, they're doing something that's perhaps natural, you could call it. That's natural healing. This is supernatural healing. So this is blind eyes or deaf ears opening with the word, the lepers cleanse, all of this stuff that we see in the Bible where there's, there's physical healing. And we, we've seen some of this in this church. I preached a message a couple of years ago, actually. Uh, I think it was roughly some, it was a couple, at least well over a year back uh, on healing. Prayed for healing at the end. Nobody got healed, as far as I was aware, until the next day someone wrote in and they'd had back pain for basically a month and really struggled to walk. And just overnight, they'd been completely healed. Like, like that was a, a super, that wasn't just a natural process. It wasn't physio that did that. It was just a God answered a prayer that we'd prayed in this room. When it comes to healing, who today has the gift of healing? The gift of healing. The answer to that is absolutely no one, because this does not say the gift of healing. It says gifts, right? So this is multiple different gifts of healing couple of different schools of thought. Sorry, this is quite practical, but, but just get into it a little bit. Some people think that every time someone gets healed, that is, a, that is that gift being given in that moment. They would call that what's called like an occasional gift. Like on an occasion, that gift is imparted. I actually don't quite agree with that take. I think that could be true, but, but I actually think there's people that have this as a real strong point. And often have it as a real strong point in a specific area. There's some people that just have like an anointing for a certain kind of illness or a certain kind of disease that they'll pray for it. And they just see really high level results for that kind of healing. There's a well-known uh, missionary out in uh, Mozambique called Heidi Baker. And uh, she, whenever she prays for, I think it's particularly the deaf, it's like 90% get healed. Like, that's a gift of healing right there. Now, she says, I don't see the same for other things, but for, for the deafness, I really do. That's awesome. That is a gift of healing. I would say that, these, that this gift, it doesn't operate quite the same way as, like, the gift of teaching, right? Gift of teaching, you could, you could stand here, like someone with the gift of teaching, Craig or whatever, you know, if we said, can you teach right now? Craig can stand up and teach right now, okay? If this message goes badly, that could happen, right? Hopefully it won't. <laughs> All right, but, but that, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a possibility. Healing's a little bit different. I, I don't think it's one you just switch on. I think it's more about a success rate in that. So that's why if you go, well, why don't they clear out, you can do this totally at will, why not clear out entire hospitals? Well, even in the Bible, apart from Jesus, nobody else seems to be able to heal quite as well as that. We hear about Paul leaving Trophimus sick. The apostle Paul saw lose a healing. But there's times when he wasn't able to operate on it at will. We hear about his friend Epaphroditus who nearly died. He'd clearly been praying for him. Now, he eventually actually makes a turnaround, but it wasn't an automatic, like he could just switch it on and heal at will. So, so, so the gift of healing seems to operate like a strength in an area. And it can be imperfect and it can be delayed, right? So uh, one of my favorite healing stories is this. Um, 
one of our Bible college teachers uh, over at Highlander Bible College in Sweden, one of uh, the teachers out there was an evangelist who was preaching a, a sort of large meeting, some probably about the size of this meeting, over in uh, the former Soviet Union. I think it was Russia, it may have been Ukraine, not entirely sure, but it was somewhere out there. And he was preaching a meeting and he pray, you know, prayed for healing. Anybody get healed? No one responded, right? So they have the meeting the next night and an old lady, a babushka, right, which is a word for granny out there, right? You know, the ones with the head scarves, right? Those uh, walks in with a bag, a clear plastic bag that has in it a sort of white but slightly brown stained lump. And she says, she says, she's in this meeting, she goes, I have a testimony to share. He's like, okay. And she says, I've had colon cancer for, you know, forever. Last night after the meeting, I went to the loo and it came out. Here you go. <laughs> Lots of people came to faith, okay? It was the grossest revival in history, right? <laughs> Disgusting. But nonetheless, that's a, that's a healing. That's a, that's a healing. And sometimes it's not always totally perfect, totally at will. Like he would have loved, it would have been great if she had sent something in the, he didn't sense it in the meeting. It, it happened after. And healing can often operate like that. So, so, so that's, that's healing, right? Let's look quickly then at miracles. What, what are miracles? I would say, well, all healings are miracles, but not all miracles are healings. Okay? So, so there are, in the Bible, plenty of examples of miraculous things that are not to do with your body getting healed. So, for instance, Jesus turns water into wine. That's a miracle. It's not a healing. Feeding the 5,000. Miracle, not a healing. Walking on water, calming storms. All of these things. These are miraculous things, but these are not healing. And I would say with these, these seem to be more in that sort of occasional thing where it's like, it, you don't see Jesus regularly walking on water. You see him regularly healing, but he doesn't sort of, if Jesus was going up to the North Coast, he wouldn't just jump in his car and drive across Loch Ness, right? That, he would drive the normal route, barring some miraculous, like serious need. There was, a, there was a serious need for something miraculous to happen then. These, uh, I think these miracles happen in that sort of scenario. They, they, they arise whenever there's a, a specific need for a miracle of that kind. So I don't know that there's a sort of specific anointing for water into wine. And if you run out of wine, you go and find the anointing. For, I, don't, I don't think that's how that one works, okay? Um, I remember one of the first social gatherings that uh, I ever went to with Danny. We were at a, uh, some friend's apartment. And uh, we were, we were going to watch a movie or something like that. And I walked in, and there was this whole big kerfuffle going on because Danny had basically managed to get, sorry, Danny's my wife, for those that don't know, she had managed to get, I think, an eyelash, but they weren't even sure what it was. It had gone into her eye, and then it had gone in behind the eyeball. And it was, like, very uncomfortable. They were, like, washing it with water. She was, you know, it was, it was, there, was, there was a whole big thing going on. And I was, if I'm honest, I was way too spiritual at this point. But I was just like, we should just pray and get rid of this thing. That was my, that was my take, 18 years old, uh, fired up, ready to go. And so, so we prayed. And immediately, like literally, I'm not kidding, the instant we said amen, it disappeared. Dis it didn't come out, just, just disappeared. Like whatever was going on there completely fixed itself. If you're looking for the Guinness World Record holder for the smallest miracle ever, that's me, okay? Like, that's, that's a miracle. It is a, it's, it's a miraculous. It wasn't a healing, but it was something miraculous that God was doing. I would say that I don't have, like, an anointing for that. Like, if you get something in your eye, I'll happily pray for you, but I don't think I'm going to have, like, a, a higher... I don't, wouldn't say I have a strong point in specifically removing things from behind eyeballs, right? It's not like Danny married me in case we lived in a dusty environment and thought that'll come in handy. So, so miracles, 
Not healings, but they're still miraculous things. And I think they're maybe more occasional, right? Now, why have we rushed those? Because these are the sorts of things that I said at the start. We want to see loads more of. These are, these are the things that, yeah, do you know what? If we saw a ton of that happening in church, if every time we pray there was something miraculous or, you know, something supernatural, there was loads of healings. Well, let's bring it back to the original question. Because we do want to see more of these. Like, we do want to see cancers disappear. We want to see broken bodies restored. We want to see people get out of wheelchairs. I'd love to see, like, I'd love to see our church be like that, where it's just like an easy place for people to get supernaturally healed. We, we praise God for natural healing. We praise God for when the doctors do a good job. We're not, we're not against any of that, but, but how great would it be if we were the sort of church where we're just seeing stuff like that all the time? Here's the thing, right? Why do we not see as much? Well, the Bible does talk about why miracles don't happen. The Bible has stuff to say on when the miracle doesn't occur. It has things to say on that. We see that on a few occasions. I'm going to read a text. So this is Matthew 17. Sorry, you can flip there if you want to follow with me in that. Matthew 17, uh, verses 14 to 21. And I think this will challenge us. And I want you to sort of hear out my case when it comes to this passage and this subject. It says this in Matthew 17, 14 to 21. It says this. And when they came to the crowd, so this is Jesus has come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a crowd gathered at the bottom. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This, this, this will challenge. This, what I'm going to say is going to challenge, and, and, and I'm going to add plenty of balance to this, right? But, but this is an important point that Jesus makes here. One of the big reasons why we don't see as much of the miraculous is a lack of faith for the miraculous. It just is. A lack of faith is kryptonite for the power of God in your life. A lack of faith is a problem when it comes to this. You can say amen or you can say ouch. You can pick. And I want to be immediately cautious, so don't hear what I'm not saying here, right? This is, this is very important. I am not saying that if you have an illness and you are not getting better, that your lack of faith is the cause. That is, that is not what I'm saying. Notice here, Jesus does not rebuke the father or particularly the boy. Jesus doesn't say this boy has no faith. Jesus says the disciples had no faith, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a different thing. I view this as a challenge to me, right? Part, part of the leadership, associate pastor here at the church. Part of my role is going to be ended up praying for people, praying for people to get better. I view this as a challenge to my faith, right? And I, I view this as personally convicting. You may be someone who is operating in a role like that. I think that that, that is something that should challenge you. 
So, so, so that, this, this is, that's one ditch we can get into. In that same ditch, still, still that same one, we can sometimes make it so extreme that we say that it's, well, it's automatic. Like if you can just be convinced enough in your head, you will absolutely ironclad, guaranteed, get better or see people get better at the rate that you would like to. 100% record if you just get your faith absolutely right. I don't see that. I don't see that in the Bible. I, I think that sometimes you see there's other things going on. Job, for instance, he gets commended for his faith. He doesn't get criticized for his faith, right? Wasn't, I don't think it was a lack of faith on Job's part as to why he went through what he went through. You've got to be very cautious about placing blame, and the Bible is very cautious about doing this, placing blame for illness, particularly on the person who is unwell, right? There are very rare occasions, and the Bible makes it very clear when it's like a specific act of judgment, right? And God will say very clearly, this was the cause of this. But there's other times when they, like the disciples see a blind man and, the, and they say, oh, was it his sin or his parents? And Jesus goes, neither. Wasn't, wasn't the sin. Wasn't, it's not their fault. I'm going to go resolve it. This is for the glory of God. So, so that's, that's one ditch. One ditch is to push it so far and so extreme that it's like, Faith, if, 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 if you've not seen healing, your lack of faith is it. And, and that can be abusive and nasty, and, and it's not how we would view things, right? The other ditch is this, and I think this is possibly a more common ditch, perhaps in our kind of environment, right? Which is, but you know, sort of take the, the sort of reformed, slightly cessationistic environment that we, you know, sort of is kind of our spiritual milieu in, in Northern Ireland, which is to say that, you know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. God's ordained it, and therefore there's nothing we can really do about it. And faith, which, by the way, I agree with part of this, faith is just to stay following God in the midst of that. And by the way, that is a kind of faith. That is like the, we sang it as well with my soul, I sung it with my heart out. And, you know, like, like that, is, that is a form of faith. It's a good form of faith. But look, look at what the passage says. Jesus does not say that the sovereignty of God is an acceptable excuse for not seeing this child healed. He actually says, no, if you'd had greater faith, that child would have got better. That, that was the issue. The issue here was your lack of faith. If you'd had more, you would have seen more of the miraculous. There's a few kinds of faith in the Bible. I want to try and make this point really clear. I'm going to belabor this a little bit because it is important. You've got saving faith, right? So that's your trust in Jesus for salvation. You've sort of got your, what I would call your walking around faith, the faith that's part of your everyday life. You're trusting God, you're believing God, you're going for it, you know, all of that. Those are that, I would say the bulk of the time when the Bible talks about faith, it, it talks about it in those terms. And it's about faith in God, and it's more about him as the object of faith and trusting in him. But then you also have a, like a third kind of faith, and that is faith for something to happen. It's faith that God is going to do this thing. Like it's a specific, very targeted, very zoned in kind of faith. And that kind of faith seems to be pretty much essential for miracles or close to essential, like really important for the miraculous. The Bible is clear about this. So, so where do we see this? Well, I'm just going to go, this is just the book of Matthew, but Jesus says to the Roman centurion who's asking for his servant to be healed, I have found no one in Israel with faith like this. He says to the paralytic on the bed, or it says, of Jesus, when he saw their faith, the friend's faith, that he said to him, actually first says to him, your sin is forgiven, and then he says to rise up and walk. Faith was essential for that. He says to the woman with the issue of blood, your faith 
has healed you. He says to the two blind men, according to your faith, let it be done to you. He says to the disciples, when, he's, when he curses the fig tree and it withers, he says, how'd you do this? He says, if you have faith, you can not just do this, you can cast mountains into the sea. And conversely, sometimes, like in this instance, when there isn't a miracle, he says, it was a lack of faith. Whenever Peter starts to sink in the water, he says, you have little faith, why did you do it? So there's this consistent theme over and over again that faith is big for miracles. Now, in case, just, I'm really, really trying to convince you of this, if you're not in this camp, right? Let me give, I went on Google, everybody, okay, as we all do, and I got this entire, no, I didn't get the entire message, okay, but uh, I was looking for the most stringent reformed guys I could find and see if they agreed with me on faith. Let me quote you some of them, okay, so if you're in that camp, you're going, that sounds very charismatic. Let me, let me make my case. Martin Luther said this, he said, there is no doubt at all that if at the present day this kind of prayer were offered over the sick, i.e. by the older and graver men, men saint-like and full of faith, as many as we desired would be healed. Nothing is impossible for faith. Martin Luther. How about John Calvin? Again, since God so often declares that he will give to every man according to his faith, he intimates that we cannot obtain anything without faith. In short, faith it is faith which obtains everything that is granted to prayer. John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, for nothing more offends God than when we ask, doubting whether he will grant our petition. Charles Spurgeon, I trust that we, all of us, are already aware that the man who lives in the region of faith dwells in the realm of miracles. And then he said, faith trades in marvels and her merchandise is with wonders. Are you getting the point that faith's important here, guys? Okay, that, I'm really trying to get that across. I couldn't be trying harder, okay? Faith matters for the miraculous. And can I say this? The biggest prayer answers are almost always connected to the biggest faith. They, they really are. One of my stories, I've shared this, this before. Um, I was, when I was out in Bible college, I was struggling for, for money uh, at a certain point. I'm getting towards the end of the year, but my, my savings had kind of run out. And uh, there was a day where I went to get cash out. It's six days left to the end of the month until some more, actually my mum and dad were supporting me and, and uh, it was six days left until that money came through and I had no money left in the account. And I was like, well, my lunches and dinners are sorted. Like, all I needed to do was food. So I'm like, I'll be okay. I've got lunch and dinner sorted and I have uh, a loaf of bread and I've got some milk and some porridge. I'll try and stretch it out for six days. We'll be fine, right? Went for breakfast the next day. Uh, went down into, into the kitchen to get breakfast. And uh, the milk had gone sour, like pr before its date. So I poured it out, it was just, I was just lumpy. I was like, oh, that's so, it's like soul destroyed. So I was like, well, I'll go, go get a peanut butter sandwich, do that for breakfast, right? And uh, opened my loaf of bread, and it had gone moldy. And I was like, oh, wick. Now, my personal faith was still like, good. like I wasn't like my, I wasn't going to lose my saving faith, I wasn't going to lose my walking around faith, but I was trying to believe for this thing. I remember I put in a prayer request, we used to do prayer requests. You write them in anonymously and hand them a big pile of them, and they, you know, we get prayed for over the course of the day. I didn't let people know it was me, okay, I didn't put a big for God and Ulster or something, you know, I didn't, didn't write that. It was like, okay, kept it anonymous, right? Um, and then I went home, and I went, uh, nothing had happened over the course of the day, and, you know, I was, I was fine. As I said, I had lunches and dinners sorted because I was volunteering, and so I, I, those, those were fine. But I went into my room, and I began to pray because I knew also I was going to have issues the upcoming months. And I just had this encounter with the presence of God. I, I, was just, I was just in my room, nothing dramatic, just praying, 
And I just knew, like I, I felt like I went up and I just knew, I'm like, I know this is done. Like I know, I know that this prayer is answered. I know this provision's coming. And I walked out my door and on the floor was a bag with bread and milk and a pizza. I was like, that's a pretty quick prayer. I've got to be honest, like, I, was, I was efficient, Lord, right? And then the next day I got a phone call. My aunt had decided to give me 500 quid, which was going to cover the gap between what I had and what I needed for every month until I'd finished Bible college. It was just one of those moments. It was like that, I, I knew, I knew coming out of there that that, that that was going to be answered. So let me put it this way, right? When it comes to the miraculous, I would say faith, it's not quite a law, but it is a principle. And it's a really important principle. Some push it so far that it's a law. As I said, you know, you just, if you're convinced enough, it's guaranteed. Others will be more connected. I say it's a principle. It's kind of like eating healthily. If I tell you, if you eat healthily, you'll be healthier, that's a, that's a principle, right? It's not like there's zero other factors that can impact it, right? And it's not like you don't get those, sometimes you hear those stories, you know, woman lives to 100, eats bag of Cheetos every day, you know, drinks Dettol. You know, it's like, well, that's not, that's not a good principle, right? Some of, you, some of you have tried dead all. It's not great, yeah. No, but, but you know, that's, but there's a principle there. Like, like, eat healthier, be healthy, or eat healthily, be healthier, right? This is true for faith. If you want to see more miracles, get more faith for miracles. You want to see God move more, believe more that God is going to move. You want to see stuff happen, start raising, start building your faith, start going after it and going, do you know what? I'm going to press in on this. I'm going to believe for this. I'm going to read about this. I'm going to study the scriptures on this. I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to step out on this. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to believe for it until I see it. Until I see it, I am going to believe. And by the way, this is not presumptuous. Some people throw that back, that that's, or you're presuming on God. No, what I see in the Bible over and over again is that God loves this kind of faith. God loves it. When you go, do you know what? I think I have a really big God, and I'm pretty sure he could sort this out. I'm pretty sure he's not as worried about this as I am. He seems to love this audacious faith. And, and there's so many people, you see it over and over again in Scripture, you see it over and over again in church history, and there's these people with these huge flaws, and you go, how does God use them? Well, the connecting theme is this, they were believing big. They were believing that God could do something. And you might be, look, we're all flawed, right? You can write down a big list of my flaws. You ask my wife, she can add to it. But do you know what? You can believe for something big and God can use it. It's not an excuse to sin, but you can believe for big things and God will do them in spite of your imperfections. And as a church, I think we need to do that. I just think we do. What's this gift of faith then specifically? What are we talking about? Um, I would say the gift of faith is slightly more than just generally high levels of faith, great though that is. I think they're connected. I'd say the gift of faith Like all of these gifts, they're supernatural and they're God-given. And the gift of faith, as I see it, is God's faith for a situation. It's not just your faith, your strong faith. It is actually where God imparts his faith on top of yours. I think it's supernatural. I don't think you can just conjure it up, right? My, a a useful way to look at this, by the way, is rather than say, well, I, I'll just, that faith will just land out of heaven on me. I, I think it often comes when you've believed for something for a long time and you kind of get to the end of that and then God goes, right, I'm going to push you over the edge and give you my faith for this thing. 
That, that's how I've seen it work. Smith Wigglesworth talked about it that way. You get to the end of the, your faith, and then you tap into God's. You're believing for something. You're not totally confident, but you're, you're, you're doing whatever you can to believe and stand and trust and pray. And then God comes in and goes, boom, let me, let me make this a done deal. I have a couple of, couple of stories in that regard. You know, we, we know a woman who uh, was struggling for, for a long time to get pregnant. They had, had one child, but were, were struggling to have a second, believing God for it. And uh, came here to church one Sunday, and Craig had a word about uh, someone struggling with fertility. And, and uh, you know, didn't, didn't call them out, but just said there's someone here. And talking to this woman after, she said, at that moment, she knew it was done. It was, it was like she had been believing. Her, her, she'd been exercising, praying, trusting God, all of that. Got to the end, God adds a word to it, and suddenly it's God's faith where it's like, this is done. And of course she finds out she's pregnant and actually they've had the baby and praise God, right? Yeah, like that's, that's, that's what the gift of faith is. I mean, you, could, you could go bigger than that. You know, in 1972, there was a, a missionary to Lesotho in Africa and uh, he, he, was, he was believing God, using all of his faith, trying to see God do something there, really trying to reach people. And uh, he tells the story of, of how he traveled an entire day to some remote village to preach. Five people showed up and none of them got saved. And he just was at the end of his faith. He'd been believing. He'd been believing, but he was at the end of his faith. And that night he had a dream. And in the dream he saw a map of Africa being washed with the blood of Jesus. And a mighty voice says, from Cape Town to Cairo, all of Africa will be saved. And he sort of thinks the next day, he's like, well, that was a eating some weird bananas, right? That's what he thought. That was his initial reaction. This is a dream the next night. Weird bananas again. Third night. Fourth night, he has the same dream. And he thinks, hey, do you know what? I think God's talking to me here. It's a bit slow to catch on. That moment gave him a gift of faith. It gave him the faith that that would happen and that his ministry would be part of it. That man's name is Reinhard Bonnke. By the end of his life, he had seen 79 million people come to faith in Africa. That's the gift. That's what the gift of faith can do. It's like, and, and I don't think you can just conjure it up, but you can go after it. You can position yourself for it, and you do so by using your own faith as much as you have until God goes, right, now I have mine. Let you, I'm going to let you borrow my faith for this thing. I'm going to give you a word that makes this a done deal. I wonder if we in this room, if there's people in this room, could we go, do you know what, I'm going to go after faith for something. I don't know what that would be. For some of you, do you know what it might be? We've talked about healing. It might be healing. It might be that God would use you to heal the sick. It might be that, 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 that you are like, do you know what? I'm passionate about that. Yes, I don't maybe have that gift of faith where I know it's a done deal, but I'm going to press in for it until I see it happen. Maybe, maybe it's in hearing from God. Maybe it's in the prophetic. Maybe it's, maybe it's like, I, I want to hear from God clearly and specifically in a way that edifies and builds up the church. I'm going to go after that with my faith until God gives me his. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your school. Maybe it's in your personal life. There's things that you're like, do you know what? I know God wants to do something here and, 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 and I don't know how to get there, but I'm going to go after it and I'm going to believe for it until I see it happen. That We should be people of faith. We are called to be. We are called believers, everybody. There's an implication there that belief might be part of it. Yeah? And if it starts in faith, it should continue in faith. The Bible talks about going from faith to faith. You're supposed to grow in this. You're supposed to see more. And sometimes I just think we settle for so much less. And we shouldn't do so. 
So where do you start? Let me, let me just land this thing pretty quickly, right? How, if, if you don't have faith, like let's say you're struggling to have faith and you're like, I, I, I've, I've tried believing for things, I haven't seen them and my faith is weak. You know, and it's okay to admit that. You go, like this, this man actually says, uh, I don't know if it's in this, is it in this version. No, it's not in this version, but in a different version of this story, the man says, Lord, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. His faith's weak. It's okay, it's okay to start with weak faith. Jesus will help, right? How, how do you grow in faith? There's, there's a bunch of things we could say. We talk about prayer, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Talk, we talk about getting into the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. There's lots there. Let me give one that I think we perhaps overlook a little bit. What about hope? What about hope, right? Like, what do you hope for? I'm not saying believe. Believe is a strong term, but what do you hope could happen? And do you allow yourself to hope that things can happen? Because Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is like the foundation. It's like the bedrock of faith. Like you get an image in your head of, what if God did this? And at that point, it's not like, oh, I know God's going to do this. But you should have that, like, well, what if God showed up in this scenario? Or what if God showed up in this place? Or what if God showed up in this province or this church or in that person's life? Like, like do, you, do you actively seek to hope for things? Because I think that'll build your faith. I think a lot of the time, so, many of us, you know, you've been there where your hope has struggled because you've seen hope unfulfilled. And we protect ourselves by not even hoping. We just sort of accept. It's like, well, this is as good as it can get. Like, that, that couldn't happen. I, I just want to urge you, like, get your hopes up. Like, pe- people are nervous. I don't want to get people's hopes up. As Christians, your hopes should be up. Like, you, they should, right? I mean, long term, it all ends good, right? Like, we're, we're, it's all going to end well anyway, right? So the, the, the finish line is guaranteed. The journey there, though... We still have an all-powerful God in heaven. We still have a risen Jesus. We still have the Holy Spirit living within us. We still have a body of believers with different gifts around us. Do you know what? Your hopes should be pretty high. Your hopes should be high. And I think over and over again, we see that God takes hope and he turns it into faith. We see it with Abraham. I'm convinced Abraham spent his whole life hoping he would have a kid. Then God speaks to him and then he starts to believe. I don't think, though, if if he hadn't hoped for it, that he would have believed. I think it was connected to the hope. Same with Moses. I, they, the Israelites, they were hoping for a deliverer. They were crying out. I don't know if they believed, because that's a strong term, but they were hoping. And then God comes with the word, and suddenly it turns into faith. If you want to grow in faith, start with hope. Can I say that one of the things that, that I think has shifted in that week of prayer and fasting, at least for me, is my hope for what I think God can do in here is risen. It has. I, th- I think we started, to, as I said, I think we started to see a little sign. But my hopes for this place have gone up. I, I think God could do something in this church. I, I do. Thank you, Malcolm. I do. No, I, I, I'm serious. Like, like, some of you guys, this might be as far as you could have hoped for. When, when this thing started, the, the muckly lot, you know, that, that were part of this, right? Like you were like, if we could just get like a good, solid, strong church and the worship could be good and we have great kids and youth work and the preaching's good whenever Craig's on. And, you know, like if we, if, you know, that's what you kind of hope. That, and that, that was the limit of your hope. That's great. But I think we need to expand our hope. 
I think we need to go up a level in what we're hoping for in this church. And I think we need to shift. Here's the shift I think we need to make. I think we need to move from a parish mindset to a province mindset. How do we do something that impacts this province? Because this province desperately needs a move of God. This province needs God to show up in a fresh way. We're in trouble if he doesn't. And I am hopeful. I'm not saying that I have a gift of faith for it. I'm not saying that I have a done deal. I'm totally confident, word from God, signed, sealed, delivered. But I really am hoping. I am really hoping. And I'm hoping bigger than I did before that week of prayer and fast. And I think God shifted that in me. And I believe he shifted it in some of you. I believe there's hope. Let me close with, with a couple of stories about hoping big. So the church we were at in Sweden, they were about, about the same size as us, about 200 people. They were meeting in, a, in an ugly building, no, not like ours. Ours is gorgeous, obviously. This is a great cathedral. They were, they were meeting in an ugly building. They were the top floor over some offices. And uh, they, they felt like God was leading them to buy a piece of land. And, uh, the, 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 you know, it was in the edge of the city. It wasn't like a prime site, but they had this vision. And it, by the way, this is, I'm not saying that this is what we should do. I'm just giving it as, here's what God can do. They felt that they were to build a 3,000-seat auditorium on this piece of land. And they're believing for this piece of land. A couple hundred people, right? And, and I, were they, I don't know what the state of the congregation was at that point, but I'm going to guess this. I'm going to guess that most of them were not totally convinced. I think they were probably hoping I'm, I'm not, I don't think they were believing. Some of them maybe were, but I think a lot were just hoping. But one day this prophetic woman came across and said, see that piece of land over there just across the way? God's called you to take that land. And here's what I want you to do. I want the men of this church to run across that land and shout and declare it that it's going to belong to you in the name of Jesus. And of course, this is the 1980s, right? So ties, incredible mustaches, sprinting across this field, got arrested for trespass. No, they didn't. Uh, but they, they, they do this. And what does it do? It imparts a spirit of faith. It imparts a gift of faith that they go, do you know what? God absolutely has called us to do this. And if he's called us to do it, it will happen. And they did. They did. They bought that land. They built that auditorium. Thousands of people started to come to faith. They planted over a thousand churches out from that place. And not only that, the city grew around them. They were on the edge in this like bad site. It became this important like industrial retail hub with all this housing out near it, all these housing. It was, it was just a God thing. They were there early. They would never have got that later. But there was something that God spoke and they were hoping and then they started to believe. Similarly, there's a guy, Chris Hodges. He's one of the, he was the first ARC church when I used to work for them. He tells a story of how, I've shared this one before as well, but they had a team of 34 people moved into this area, Birmingham, Alabama, going to start a church. And they rented a thousand-seater auditorium. No idea how many people were going to show up, but they rented a thousand-seater. And they did a trial service the week before and uh, with just the team, right, just to kind of check that the sound worked and the worship guys knew what they were doing, all of that, right? And at the end of it, he shares a word. He talks about Abraham and how God brings Abraham out of the tent and says, what do you see? So he says, well, here's what I want us to do. I want us to all line up here at the front. I want us to turn around, look at this auditorium. And I want us just to say, what do you see? What do you see God doing? And of course, he's doing this as sort of a metaphorical, spiritual, like nice exercise. I'll probably steal that at some point in a prayer meeting, okay? Like, yeah, I will. It's great. And um, he says, so we're going to open our eyes. Three, two, one, boom. When they open their eyes, all of them for two to three seconds get the same vision, open vision of all the seats filled and people worshiping God. Within a year, that place was full. 
brings the 34 up again, says, what do you see? It's full. People are worshiping God. And I just say, I think there's going to be something about faith that is going to be released over this church. I don't know what it'll look like. Those, that's their stories. We're not going to copy anybody else's stories. It's not, it's not saying these are our stories. It's theirs. But we will have a story. And we will have a story, I believe, where God is going to say, do you know what? What do you see? What are you believing for? What are you going after in faith? And I think we're at a key moment. I really do. I believe this. I think we're at a key moment in the future of this church. If we will go after it in faith, I believe nothing will be impossible. Amen.